Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Company who sponsors Monster X Radio, Sasquatch Coffee. Have you tried it yet? You can find us online at www.squatchcoffee.com. With me, as always, is my good friend and Bigfooter of the Year in my own private boat, Shane Corson. Hey, Shane, how are you? Uh, Doing well, um, and there is no such thing. As Bigfoot of the Year, but there is such a thing as Bigfoot. (laughs) But yes, uh, I had a a private vote and I I voted for you, so congratulations. Your trophy's (laughs) in the mail. Oh, excellent. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a great weekend. I had a chance to go out. You came out on Friday night. We went out to our research area and... uh, was pretty quiet. Um, of course, we haven't reviewed all the audio yet. We had seven seven recorders out in, on on Friday. Got uh, rain, rained on last night, and uh, we had the the. Uh, I know you had to go home. Larry and I stayed up there, and and uh, uh, Jess was up there, and we had a, a special guest, Mr. Peter Byrne, came out and uh, hung out with us last night and uh, his friend Hal and Peter was gracious as always uh, you know British gentleman and uh, he was interested in in uh, the the encounters and, and the stuff that we've had going on up there um, but uh, yeah he you know he'll be 90 years old in uh, August so 
and he's still he's still getting out and and he goes out and, and does Bigfoot research almost every weekend. So mm-hmm. you know that uh, yeah. uh, it, it it's just amazing. Um, so yeah, what a great weekend! I mean, it was a great weekend. We had you know up until I had left, you know, there was it was really nice out, perfect weather to be out there. Uh, I was really interested in looking at some of the water sources out there because right now in Oregon and many places, specifically in the West, here we're running short uh, on rain. It's been really dry. There's a lot of fire hazards, um, and so it's just a really dry year. So, you know, I like to I, I kind of look for some water sources in the areas that we were at um, to see what you know what uh, animal life were around those water sources and if there were any and all that. Um, and um, even though it is really dry up here, you know you can, you can find plenty of water source resources. So that that's good. I am bummed though uh, that I did not get to you know I'll see Peter at Beachfoot coming up here, but um, kind of bummed that I couldn't uh, spend an extra night um, or day and, and uh, catch up with Peter and, and uh, pick his brain some more because he's uh, been at this um, a long time. And though he was involved with the Yeti, he's heavily involved with the Sasquatch subject and has. Uh, Quite a, quite a few theories built over the years, and has worked with some some of the uh, uh, quote unquote legends of the Bigfoot, uh, the historians and stuff, and has you know quite the repertoire there. But uh, Peter is just a great guy, um, somebody that I, I look up to with his experience and knowledge on the subject. Yeah, as a kid, I mean, I, I remember watching you know the shows in search of and. And I remember him from, you know, TV. So it was, it, it was cool. It's cool though. I met him at Beachfoot uh, several years ago, and and uh, we talk now and then. He's really close with Todd Neese, and and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it, it was a pleasure to to get to see him again. So, like, yeah, Beachfoot's coming up in a in a couple weeks. Next weekend is a big weekend because uh, oh, yeah. Monster X will be taking over Hopsquatch. We are holding a town hall type event, and uh, Shane and I are going to be hosting it. So, if you're in the Portland, Oregon area, or if you you know you want to make a special trip, this would be a great time to come to uh, Hopsquatch and uh, join us as we uh, um, take over. And it's going to be fun to uh, to hear different people's stories. It's always one of my favorite things uh, in doing this show and and uh, listening to other shows is, is people's encounters. You know, it's my favorite part of finding Bigfoot is the town halls and, and hearing what, you know, Tal, uh, uh, who's friends with, with uh, Peter, uh, came out last night and he was sharing his encounter from uh, a while ago. And again, it was a case before, you know, he didn't really have any context um, of, of the subject before and and since he's an encounter, he's it, he's been looking wants to ha- you know wants to have another encounter, uh, get close again. So, your idea about the you know water as water uh, resources dwindle, they of course the wildlife it it actually gives us a little bit of an advantage because we are a uh, obviously an animal as big as a, a bigfoot would have uh, need quite a bit of water. So, um, yeah. Less water source, less water means less area to uh, to uh, cover. So um, it 
it'll be interesting what happens as the summer progresses. Um, um, I'm sure other Bigfooters are are on to that, and uh, you know I know that uh, California has has been dry for the last few years, so mm-hmm. um, yeah. it'll just Crazy be interesting dry. to see the effect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see the long term effect. You know, um, some of these some of these water resources are completely dry; others are just super low. Some of the areas that I I fish in are unfishable, and uh, or or just don't hold fish. <laughs> So, you know, it is interesting to to uh, look at that and the topography of, of everything and, and and see how it's drying up. And, um, you know, while the short time I was out there um, at our research area there in Tillamook, you know, uh, I, I noticed the water level is really low. But around some of these water sources, the amount of life around it was uh, above average. Um, a lot more tracks, a lot more... Um, um, heavily used game trails towards these areas but uh you know yeah i'm sure a lot of people have keyed in on that and i think it's important to you know it's part, part of research is to uh look at the natural environment and how it's changed and how it's changing and then and, and modify your research based on that slightly though it's it's interesting because you should i believe you know if you have a specific area or place you go to you know you just leave that location and hop hop off somewhere else no not necessarily no it's 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 important to look at what's going on there year round regardless uh and with you know the lack you know with the weather um and everything else uh, so you can get a better picture of why something may be going on there or not um but uh yeah um real quick though i did want to say mention you know the hop squatch uh i'm really looking forward to this event uh for multiple reasons uh, like like you gunner i love listening to reports and encounters um you know i love listening to people over the phone uh, i really like it when they're they're in person because you get a better read for the person you get to, to hear and see their emotions and um you know for, you know one of the um things we have as far as uh, anecdotal evidence and whatnot are encounters and they, you know, there are not that many encounters out there. I mean, if you look at span of time, you know, relatively, there's not that many. So to hear them um, out of someone's mouth is phenomenal, and to learn more about it, you know, it builds up. Uh, you, know, you do get a little bit excited at times, but really, you know, it's it's really nice to get that those that those pieces of information uh, from them and 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 uh, build up. Um, and add up to your database, and uh, this this particular hopscotch is going to be really um, a fun event. Uh, it's going to be real friendly, uh, where anybody can come and share their encounter, whether you actually saw a Sasquatch or just had um, a real you know high probability of something like a Sasquatch um, sort of event happen. And uh, it's going to be a great time held by all. So I hope you know I know we're going to have quite a few people there. Uh, I hope you know. I've I've personally talked to some individuals to speak there, uh, but I hope we get a lot of individuals that uh, I've not heard their encounter that just want to share it in a friendly uh, public format, and uh, you know, so it should be it should be a great time. Um, and uh, I I know that uh, if you show up, you're going to enjoy yourself, and you're going to be uh, amongst a great crowd of people. Yeah, I just want to take a second and. Uh give our condolences to Kip Morrill who who uh oh. lost, just lost his dad the other day. I know he he'd been 
dad, his dad had been in the hospital for a while, but uh, Kip had actually was out bigfooting over the weekend and uh, came home and, and found out that his dad had passed. So uh, hang in there, buddy. I know that's that's tough. So Yeah, su- super tough. And it's, uh, you know, Kip's just, you know, one of those guys that um, I, I've actually got to meet in person and whatnot. A fantastic individual and uh, was doing something he loved. And he's, he was up, you know, around his dad's bedside constantly and took the opportunity mm. to go out to the Sierras. And unfortunately, while he was gone, his dad passed away. But um, his dad's in a better place now. And I know, you know, Kip, uh, they brought some closure for Kip. And um, he's got a lot of friends and family out there, um, you know, saying prayers and good thoughts his way. And he, he recognizes that. And so uh, uh, thanks for bringing that up, Gunner. Mm-hmm. You bet. So we, speaking of uh, databases, you brought that up. Um, one of the, the cool things that, that uh, I, I'm a, like a data nerd, so I like to look at statistics and, and what they mean. And, and uh, our guest today, Tom Baker of the Olympic Project, um, has, has uh, put together uh, and put a lot of the Report big, a lot of Bigfoot reports into a database that uh, um, has and to create predictability of uh, where you could expect to find you know most likely yeah. places to look at different times of years based on I mean and, and all available data all the data points on that are associated with reports like. Things like moon phase, things like like time of day, things like uh, um, you know altitude, and and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, I'm exactly. I, and I one of the coolest uh, presentations that I've seen Tom uh, give a couple different times. He's given this presentations on on the work that he's done, and and it just uh, it just fascinates me because it's like this. There is a way to uh, to create, you know, it's all like a needle in the haystack. Uh, and uh, and then a, a friend of mine, I was saying that to him, he said, well, it's like a needle in the haystack except the needle keeps moving. So if we can look, you know, shrink the, the um, haystack and create a little bit more predictability, um, and that's something that is one of the, the main focuses of the Olympic project, and Tom is a big part of that, so... Um, without further ado, I'd like to and, uh, in bring on our our guest and uh, friend Tom Baker. Good Sunday evening, Tom Baker. Yeah, hey guys, I'm not sure if you can hear me or not. Uh, this is the first time I, I've dialed in. Is am I coming through all right? I hear you fine. Yeah, loud and clear. Perfect. Right, but first of all, uh, guys, thanks a lot for inviting me. I, uh, I'm really excited to be on, and uh, I've been listening to your uh, to your podcast for quite some time, and kind of feel like we should be up at the uh, up at the OP base camp, sitting around the Bigfoot bar, but because uh, you know we always have these great conversations, <laughs> and uh, so happy to be on, and uh, and whatever you know, whatever we want to talk about, uh, you know, let me know, and we'll kind of get to it. Tom, you you have uh, an interesting job. I mean, it's interesting to me because it's it involves um, a lot of data analysis and stuff. What is it that you do for a living, and how does that uh, do you bring that into what you're doing with the uh, bigfooting? 
Sure. So, um, you know, I, I currently work at Amazon, uh, Amazon.com, uh, and uh, I was up until recently the uh, senior program manager for Amazon Logistics. So it's the new delivery stations and the new delivery methods that you may be hearing about in the news uh, around the country that we're implementing. And that would be your, you know, your same day delivery, your your two hour delivery, one hour delivery, et cetera. Uh, so I uh, was really enjoying that, and then they came to me and they said, uh, "Hey, uh, we need some leadership help uh, over in uh, talent acquisition." Uh, if you, as you can imagine, a company that's growing as quickly as Amazon, uh, you know, it, it's very difficult to maintain the level of talent and the and the number of people that we need to grow as quickly as we are. So, I'm now the uh, head of talent acquisition for Amazon Technologies. Um, and so we're looking for for folks that are in the IT field that are that can help us out in that way. So uh, what is it that I do at work that really helps me with the Olympic project? And I think certainly that is my uh, you know my lean and my Six Sigma training, and that is you know just dealing with data and how to make sense out of the data. So it's you know getting what may appear to be a random scattering of numbers. Uh, working through a, a great deal of statistical analysis to drill down into into that data and make sense of it. Um, you know, just basically taking all of this information that may seem random to the random eye, uh, using a lot of uh, whether it be uh, you know Pareto studies or uh, you know normal distributions and looking at p-values, uh, you know, and and which is your you know, Z-scores, which is basically how far off of normal is this information, and uh, and and trying to come up with some sort of pattern, and that's and that's what I'm that's what I do at work, and and now that's what I'm doing for the Olympic project. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's fascinating to me. It may seem boring working with numbers, but to me, I I I'm able to go sasquatching every single day if I choose to, just by diving into the numbers, and uh, I can go I can go squatching in my living room just by going through the numbers. And so that's my involvement with the Olympic project right now. And and what is I mean what are you seeing out of out of uh the data that you've input into these different you know using these different methods are are you finding some really clear patterns or that you know you know that's a really interesting question. Um I I'll be location so if we're looking at the Olympic, uh, the Olympic Peninsula, the answer to the question, at least into the data that I've uh, dove uh, deep on so far, and the answer is no. Uh, there are very, very few patterns, other than possibly time of day. Uh, but then when you move into the Cascades and you move into uh, the Sierra Nevadas, that's when you start to see some patterns. But in the area of study that I've focused on, which is the Olympic Peninsula because of the Olympic project, um, other than time of day and some other uh, some other pieces of information, you know, if you're just looking at sightings themselves uh, or encounters, uh, the answer is no. There are no real patterns. And uh, Gunnar and, and Shane, you've heard me say this before, but for those, of, for those that are, have never heard me discuss this before, I, I have to put this caveat out there. Um, every piece of data out there that or every piece of data that I talk about is corrupted, right? I mean, it takes not only a you know a suspected creature, but it takes a human to um, to have this encounter. So we're not doing this in a double-blind study like we would do in a you know, in a science laboratory. We are doing this based off of 
individual's perspective on what they are encountering. And we don't discount anyone. Uh, you know, it, it is what we have. Uh, you know, the information that we have coming in is what we have. And and uh, because we have the, you know, the the biases that uh, that humans, uh, you know, deal with every single day. We, uh, you know, every piece of data that I talk about and will talk about today is, is corrupted. But it's the best that we've got, right? I mean, like Shane was talking about earlier, you know, he loves hearing about those you know, individual encounters. Well, those individual encounters take a human and a creature, and uh, one person might see yellow and another person might see, you know, green, and uh, it is it is what it is. So I'll do the best uh, with the information I've got and, and give you all the information I have. Well, that's that's true that every, I mean, all all uh, evidence requires context, and, and you're talking about... Uh, a high stress uh, reporting kind of you know people reporting incidents that in, uh, involve high stress, so um, I'm sure that skews uh, their their remembering and, and how they report it and yeah that's in, I wonder how you I was wondering how you would take that into account um, when you're you know you've got all these how many how many uh, data pieces and reports have you uh, input into uh, this database? Sure. So I've compiled over, uh, so I've compiled four different databases together, uh, and I have over 25,000 encounters starting with uh, 1887, uh, so the year 1887, all the way to 2015. In fact, I was on the phone with somebody yesterday uh, talking about an encounter. And... um, so, yeah, 25,000, and, you know, you asked, you know, how do I deal with this corruption? And the way that I deal with it is through this statistical analysis, and it's through, you know, what does normal look like? And we use normal, you know, in quotations when we're, you know, when we're dealing with this kind of subject. You know, if we find that the vast majority of uh, eyewitnesses say that uh, the creature looks, at a, you know, approximately seven feet tall, and that is the average uh, when we start getting out into the 16, 17-foot-tall uh, encounters, that's when we start to go, you know, the C-score is pretty high. and You know, we, we say that, you know, we're not going to discount it, but, you know, it's outside uh, the normal distribution, and therefore, uh, you know, it may be an outlier. Um, I spoke with a woman the other day who said that she saw two Sasquatch that are three feet tall, um, Okay, maybe juveniles, uh, certainly, but certainly on the outside edge, on the lower side. So, how do we deal with this uh, this corruption? We th- we feel with uh, by studying so many uh, encounters and trying to create these normal uh, curves that the outliers will then, or that you know, significantly corrupted data will start to show itself in you know, the, the higher Z-scores where we are looking at uh, something that is far outside what we would consider normal for the data. And let me, let me say this right away. When I say the word normal, I'm not talking about what, you know, what we would think about in a normal conversation of, uh, you know, that person is a normal person and this person is not a normal person, which may seem derogatory. What I'm, what I'm saying is in a statistical way, Right. When we say the statistics are normal, normalized, that means that they fall within a standard bell curve. If you remember when you're going through high school, you know, we always hope that the teacher graded on a curve and, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that, 
those grades would fall in that curve. And, you know, if if Johnny got a 32 out of 100, well, he was probably an outlier. And uh, he he probably (laughs) wouldn't get that, you know, get that B uh, uh, or that C. So that's what I'm talking about. When I say normal, I'm not talking about uh, a judgment of whether something is normal or not. What I'm talking about is does the data fall within a standard bell curve and is it within a particular P or Z score, which then forces that uh, piece of data into what is considered an outlier status? Gotcha. Um, we've got a question in the chat room is and asking, are you using geospatial databases at two? So, yes, uh, although it's very difficult to do that. Uh, so the, the, the answer is yes, uh, but we can only use the information that we're given. So if someone can give me a specific lat long, that's great. I can pinpoint that, and we can, we can nail that down to a fairly specific location. But for the vast majority of sightings, what we get is, you know, on fire road one, two, three, just past, you know, a quarter mile past the gate. Uh, right. You know, that that's more difficult to deal with. And if anybody's, and, and again, for those of you that are not in the Pacific Northwest or on the Olympic Peninsula, I'm focusing my study on the Olympic Peninsula. And for those of you that, that have been on the Olympic Peninsula, you know that you could probably go about 200 yards and you can have an elevation gain of about 1,000 feet. So uh, when you're dealing with that sort of, um, I don't know, you know, inaccuracy, or that's you know that that sort of information it makes it very difficult to kind of pin down elevation or exact location. Uh, we have a data form on the Olympic uh, Olympic Project database where you can give us a latitude and longitude. But really, I mean, think about it. For the most part, it's very difficult to come up with if you're not familiar with geospatial data. Uh, how to use those websites? How to use Google Earth to figure out your latitude and longitude? Um, so it it does make it problematic. Well, a lot of if you're taking historical um, databases, they didn't have that back in 1800. And, you know, as far back as you're going, and and um, I was in the BFRO for a long time, and there was a lot of you know piecemeal. You you get a lot of anecdotal stories that are missing a lot of data pieces. You know, not um, something. Not there's not there wasn't a standardization of how things were reported necessarily. So um, that's, that's exactly right. And so, so yeah, when, you, when you look at oh I'm sorry go ahead please go ahead. no go no go ahead Tom. Uh, all I was going to say is you're exactly right, uh, and I didn't mean to interrupt. My apologies. Um, and that's why uh, when I first joined the Olympic Project, David Ellis did a fantastic job of putting together a you know a packet of this is what we want it to look like. Um, you know, this is what this is the this is the specific information we want. And you know, when you look through the database, you'll notice immediately that there are just a tremendous amount of holes. You know, if you think of a database as you know columns and rows, where where every column is a is a requested piece of information, and every row is an encounter. And you look at that information, and you'll see a tremendous amount of empty cells. If you think of a Excel data spreadsheet, right, an Excel spreadsheet. Right. Uh, and that's simply because people don't know. And, and that's right. That's fair. I mean, people go out into the woods, and they're not 
you know, they don't know what the barometric pressure is, for goodness sake, so they'll leave that blank. And, you know, so especially when you go back, you know, in history and you try to recover, uh, you know, some of those encounters or you read through a newspaper article and you try to, you try to recreate an encounter that fits your database, there's a tremendous amount of holes in the information. But, again, it's the best that we've got, and, uh, and it, it, every single piece of information that we have adds to the, uh, adds to the, you know, the, the pattern or the information that we can you know, base our, uh, our hypotheses against. Right. Tom. Go ahead. Yeah, I got a quick question for Tom here. What, you know, backtracking a little bit, what brought you to the, you know, for the audience, what brought you to the um, Olympic Project what intrigued you about it, and, and uh, you know, how, how has life been since working with Dylan Project and its members? Sure. So, um, you know, I was in the U.S. military for 21 years and traveled around, and I, I had always had a, you know, kind of in the back of my mind an interest of what, you know, what uh, Sasquatch was. And um, then uh, when I uh, got the job uh, here in Seattle, um you know, there are, are, you know, both my wife uh, and I, we were very interested in it. And for my birthday, my wife got me, uh, purchased me in an expedition with the Olympic Project. And that's where I first met uh, Derek and, and yourself, Shane, and Gunner and everybody else in the Olympic Project. And, um, you know, we just kind of sat around the campfire one night and, you know, talking about our backgrounds. And um, next thing you know, I got a phone call from David Ellis, who graciously asked me to join the Olympic Project. Uh, you know, because of some of the um, expertise that I had, whether it be, you know, the data analysis or, you know, being in the military with night vision devices and forward-looking infrared, just kind of an idea of, you know, wilderness survival and things like that. So that was my introduction to the Olympic Project. And I think since that time, um, you know, what I've come to realize, and, and I've kind of dipped my toes into the pool of other organizations and, and how they do their research. And I would have to say, um, and of course this may be a biased opinion and, and please, I, I, this isn't meant to offend anyone by any stretch, but I, the way that the Olympic project goes about their research uh, to me is the most professional that I have seen anywhere uh, in, in this um you know, in, in this field of research, if you will. So, you know, what we're looking at are, you know, uh, camera traps and, uh, you know, getting out into the woods and spending time uh, in the environment and uh, between the footprints and the data analysis. And now uh, David Ellis uh, specifically, um, you know, uh, with the uh, with the audio uh analysis and now I'm starting to get really intrigued by that um, has really solidified my belief that the Olympic project is really doing it the right way. If you think about it this way, you know, number one, we're out in the environment and we're, we're, we're trying to get out in the, in, into the, into the environment as much as we possibly can. Number two, we have probably one of the largest databases in the world when it comes to uh, Sasquatch Yeti year and, uh, uh, encounters. Number three, uh, you know, we're all about the uh, data collection, whether it be photos, uh, hair samples with Cindy Dosen, um, and uh, everything else that we're doing to collect the data. And, and, and doing that in a very um, scientific way. And now, again, like I said, David Ellis and, and myself, I, I, I'm really intrigued by this. 
the audio analysis. If you look at a footprint of, a, of uh, an alleged footprint of Sasquatch, you go, yep, that's a 17-and-a-half-inch by 7-inch footprint. But then when you look at the audio analysis, they have an audio footprint as well. And that is fascinating to me as well. So really, when you put the whole thing together and you look at uh, what the Olympic Project is doing, that is incredibly energizing. I think it's incredibly professional, and I'm very proud to be a part of it. Well, I, I I know I can speak for many with the uh, involved with the Olympic Project. They're very very happy to have you aboard and have your expertise and opinion and and um, your leadership because you are uh, very much a, a leader uh, in the Olympic Project and uh, your value is extensive. Uh, and I you know I've had conversation with Derek and you know I, it, it, when he came aboard the Olympic Project you know he was uh, very much um, enamored by you and. And thought, man, got to get Tom Baker on board. Got to get Tom Baker, uh, you know, on board this project. And uh, thank God he did, because I truly value um, what you've brought in, uh, to the table. And it's 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 truly uh, amazing. And it's it's uh, I believe we're getting somewhere. It's a slow process, like you said. It's very tedious, but um, the data that's being collected uh, is is phenomenal. And it's you know it's being scrutinized and and. Uh, and looked at and categorized, and uh, kudos to you, Tom. Well, Shane, likewise. I, 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 you and, and Gunnar and Derek and David and, and Matt Jones and Cindy Dawson, and I'm, I'm going to stop there because I'm going to leave somebody out. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I don't want to leave anyone out. So uh, it is really, it is truly an amazing group that, that uh, the Olympic Project has brought together. So likewise. Um, and, you know, I, I think when you hear me talk about this, you hear me talk about data, and you hear me talk about footprints and, uh, you know, casts and data analysis and, and photos and audio analysis. And while, um, you know, let me just say this right up front. The Olympic Project is incredibly respectful of everyone's opinions. I was very impressed with, you know, when we were holding the public expeditions, we would get, and, and, and you know, there are, there are folks that, uh, you know, there is a scale, right? And it goes all the way from, from one end, uh, you know, of the scale all the way to the pure scientific, you know, study end of the scale. And, um, you know, we would get, we would get uh, people that would come on our expeditions and they would be anywhere along that scale. And I was always impressed with how, um, uh, what's the term? Uh, accepting that uh, that the group was of of all the opinions out there, and you know there was respect sitting around the campfire when when one person would bring up their opinion, and there was respect when someone would bring up their, their you know a, a contrary opinion. But I, that all being said, I love the Olympic Project because it is truly on the scientific side, uh, and that's personally where I'm at. Right. I, I am on, you know, I'm, I'm a data oriented fact based. I have to touch it. I have to see it. If I could do a double blind study and prove, you know, and disprove, how about this and disprove the null hypothesis, right? That's where I'm at. That doesn't mean that's where everybody is and that's okay. And we, we respect that and we value that, but I love being a part of the Olympic project because it is so the, the the study is so scientific, and that's where data falls into place here. It's, it's very, it's tangible. It's something you look at, 
and uh, learn from, something to be compiled. And, you know, I mean, how important is data? I mean, how important is not just data and its collection, but its analysis? How important is that, Tom? I think it's absolutely critical. I don't think we could really uh, move this subject forward without data. I mean, there's, it's impossible uh, without having a creature that, uh, you know, sits around the campfire with us. Uh, you know, <laughs> data is where, I mean, honestly, I mean, it's, it's, it's the only way that we are going to move this forward. And data includes audio analysis. Data includes footprints. It includes, um, you know, just these, uh, the, the, the reports that are coming into us that we are now uh, running through databases and driving towards patterns. Truly, it's the only way we're going to move this forward. Um, you know, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I, I truly believe this is the only way to move it forward. Well, I think one of the you, things you hit on there was analysis of data. I think there's, in the past, there's been a lot of um, data collection, but it's been, you know, people are going out and having Bigfoot experiences, and and they don't know what to do with the data when they collect it. Um, and analysis, audio is one of the, you know, it, it's prolific in in that I think it's one of the easiest things to to gather um, because it's very passive. You can set a recorder out into in the the field and leave it there for a period of time, and you can get some very interesting pieces of um, recordings. But um, what do you do with them when when you bring them back in? And like the Tillamook Group, we get a lot of, of um, I call them audio events, where we've had something that um, is, in, piques our interest. And uh, through analysis, uh, like uh, Larry will sit down and listen to tons and tons. And I know Shane spends a lot of time listening to, to the audio that we collect. But they also um, look at, it on a spectrogram and and spectrograph and and what uh, and analyze it and look. It's so much easier to to find things that uh, that are anomalous, you know, because audio is also one of the things most open to interpretation. Uh, sure. Just you hear a, a, a sound in the woods and it uh, um, it could be anything. Using that that analysis piece is is uh, really important. So, yeah, no, I, Gunnar, I fully agree. Um, so, first off, you mentioned you know there's been a historically there's been a great deal of data, but it's all been just sitting there, right? It's all been campfire stories and newspaper articles and uh, BFRO databases and you know uh, other personal databases, but until you know, maybe a few years ago, and, and, and people have done a great job of, of, of bringing together and, and studying this data, but it's really been only in the past, uh, you know, I hate to say it because I'm sure that some have done it in previously, so I don't actually know, and I don't want to say if I don't know, but, um, but how about this? Like you said, it's incredibly important to study the data, not just have it sit there. We can have all kinds of articles and all kinds of campfire stories, but when we bring it all together and study it in a way where we look for patterns and we try to use it in the in an appropriate way, then in a scientific way, that's important. Um, so yeah, no, fully fully agree with what you're saying, Hunter. 
Well, and that's it. Uh, you know, all this copious amount. I, I've never seen anything um, close to what uh, the Olympic Project has done in terms of taking data. I'm taking 25,000 reports and putting all those reports into a database. Um, I've seen, you know, your presentation a couple different times, and, and you do see some distinct patterns in, in, uh, in like, time of day and, and some interesting, you know, my, my brain always then goes to, like, why, why the, you know, why the spike at, at 9 o'clock, a drop-off at 10, and then a spike at 11 of, of uh, sightings? You know, it's like there's something, because uh, the animal behave, if we're dealing with it, you know, if, it, if Bigfoot is real and, and these uh, reports are to be believed, and the, there's a reason for animal behavior, so what causes, you know, what's the cause behind these different uh, patterns? Because there is one. It's not they're not just doing random things all the time. Uh, so it, it's uh, it's just fascinating because the, they're different. Um, have you and then as you overlay different pieces of data, you find you know um, to line up. You have time of day, and then you have um, uh, altitude, and you have moon phase, and you you know, and of course a lot like you said, a lot of those uh, data points are missing. But you can start. You can at least create some level of predictability. Um, if I went to a certain place at a certain time, you know, I'd have a higher. You know, I know for sure if I my if I go stand in downtown Portland um, at noon, I'm not. My likelihood of having a Bigfoot encounter is is um, infinitesimally small. But if I go to a certain place where there's a history at a certain a certain time with a certain moon phase, because as that shows up in the data. I'm increasing my uh, uh, probability um, of having an encounter uh, exponentially. Doesn't mean you're going to have exactly. one, but that's exactly but right. And that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to get, we're trying to create the relationships. So when you have a high probability uh, in a in a single thread of data and you marry that uh, with another uh, high-probability single thread, uh, and then you can have multiple um, inputs, and, you know, it all starts to come together. Um, I'm not sure how much time we have left, guys, but I can certainly, you know, we, you know for, for the listeners, we can talk about some of the findings that we've had. And I, mm -hmm. I know that uh, they may find that interesting, and if you've heard some of my talks uh, at the Olympic Project or Sasquatch Summer or wherever, um, uh, Certainly, we can go over some of the information that 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 uh, the listeners may find may find interesting. Um, what why don't you do that? Uh, bring us some of the results. What have you What have you found in in uh, analyzing all this twenty five thousand reports? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. First, first, it's 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 pretty it's pretty daunting um, uh, when you bring four uh, databases together. And you're trying to normalize the data, and what I mean by normalize, um, you know, we, we've had a lot of help. And let me just state right away that I'm not doing this by myself. Uh, there, are, there have been a number of Olympic Project members that have uh, truly helped helped us get to where we need to be in terms of getting the data together. Because if you think about it, when someone says, um, you know, nighttime, it may mean 
you know, or how about this? Even a better example. When somebody gives me a date and they, they type in June 23rd, you know, 2014, and somebody writes, um, you know, 623-2014, and it, all the numbers look different. And when you're using a database, all the numbers have to look the same, meaning they have to have the same format. And if they don't have right. the same format, then the numbers are unusable. So it's taken us hours and hours and hours and multiple, you know, people really helping us out. Um, and so uh, a huge thanks goes out to all of them. But uh, once we did that, uh, we, fi- we finally started coming up with some pretty interesting things. Um, you know, just on a pure count basis, like over the years, uh, you know, starting out in 1887, coming all the way to 2013, uh, 2014, 2015, you would think that because of the technology that we have now, right, I mean, we've got iPhone cameras and everything else, uh, that the large number of sightings, you know, the, the more the technology is out there, the more sightings we would have. That's actually not the case. Uh, the largest number of sightings that we have uh, peaked in 1977. Uh, it started an increase in about 1962. Uh, Patterson came in obviously in 1967, and then uh, a, a pretty good peak, you know, right out there at uh, 1977. And then it dropped off and has kind of been holding, you know, up and down, fairly steady all the way to today. But um, you can, there's definitely a peak in the late 70s, which I thought was interesting. Um, out of all the reports, and again, uh, for those out there, I, I've been focusing my study on the Olympic uh, Peninsula. So when I looked at expanding that, I didn't really go outside the uh, Pacific Northwest or, or California. I wanted to include California because obviously the, the Northern California area is a hot spot. So um, just in terms of pure count, the pure number of uh, encounters that we've seen. Uh, Washington State is uh, the leader. Uh, it has the most encounters by state, followed by California, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and Utah. Uh, and then uh, when I started looking at other states, it drops off uh, significantly from there. Um, when Let's talk about Washington State specifically. Uh, counties, and again, pure just number of sightings. Uh, the top three are Pierce, Lewis, let's go top four, Pierce, Lewis, Grays Harbor, and Skimania County. Uh, those are our top four counties in Washington State. Our top four counties in Oregon, and Shane and Gunnar help me out here with the, with the name of the last one here, Josephine, <laughs> Clackamas, uh, Lane, and is it uh, Umatilla? Yeah, All right, I got it. All right. So Correct. Those are the top four. So Josephine, Clackman, Lane, and uh, Umatilla. Um, now, site reports by month. Again, just the number of encounters that we see by month. And here is where that whole data corruption thing really shines its ugly head. Uh, when you look at January, February, March, you know, you, you go through and, you know, when would you suspect that we are going to have, and this is a rhetorical question, right? When would you expect to have the most sightings? It's in the summer, right? That's when everybody's out in the woods. And, well, that shows that is very much the case. Um, you know, January, February, March, April, relatively low. And then May comes around when we start getting some nice weather here. 
uh, the sightings increase, with the most sightings in July and August, and then uh, very quickly tapering off all the way through December uh, again. So that uh, I think that very clearly shows the uh, the corruption that we have. But that's where we have the majority of our sightings, July and August. Um, now, when we talk about P scores and Z scores, and and how far uh, off, you know, outside of normal are these? Um, interesting. Uh, April is incredibly low. March is incredibly low, but July and August are high. They are outside of one and a half to two sigma, uh, which means that that means they are. You know, typically we say when you're outside of three sigma. Uh, three standard deviations. When you're outside of three standard deviations, that's when the bells start ringing. But when you're talking about data like this, if I see something that is 1.5 to 2, that's when my bells start ringing. Uh, and July and August are in the 1.5 to 2 standard deviations outside of normal. So I found that to be interesting. Um, how about I pause there? I've been doing a lot of talking. Any uh, Anything from you guys? For you. Absolutely. Yes, Tom. And um, no, trust me, you're not rambling. Uh, love, I know I personally love, I've been to a couple of your um, um, uh, talks and whatnot, and, and wow, I'm just blown away every time because it's something I can actually look at and, and get something from uh, rather than just mumbo-jumbo or whatnot. But this this is fascinating stuff. And you mentioned the the months of July and August, and obviously, you know, I, I think you mentioned before that, you know, people are out and about at those time of months, uh, August, you know, July, it's summer, um, people are on vacation, they're going camping, blah, blah. I personally think there's more to it than just uh, the human element there. Uh, you know, we're in putting ourselves in places where we can possibly have a sighting or encounter. I think there's something more to it. Uh, I was just curious as to your looking at the data and stuff. I mean, do you, do you uh, find any, you know, any anything concrete that um, – would lead July and August to be uh, really good months to be out in the field or looking for uh, evidence, other than just you know uh, you know what we're getting now from people being out there because they're available. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, Shane, I, you, you and I know each other. You know, I'm I, I I'm I'm going to say no, and I know that's uh-huh. disappointing. Uh, no, not really. Only, only, oh, yeah, only because I need facts. I need statistics. I need something that tells me without question that there is a direct correlation between July and August and something else, right? We could we can sit around the campfire, roast marshmallows, and talk about, um, you know, why we think July and August uh, may be a good month, you know, whether it be you know, I, it's certainly not salmon at that time of year, but, uh, right. you know, maybe maybe the elk are moving or the deer are moving or the water sources are drying up up high. Or we, we can have all of these conjecture-type uh, type discussions, but uh, the data currently, at least in the amount of time that I've had to dive into the data, the data doesn't show anything yet. It may when I have time and others have time to dive into it, but uh, at least at this point the data doesn't show anything. Hey, great answer, and I appreciate it because um, that's uh, as much as uh, many of us would love to hear something. Like, oh, yeah, this is what's going on, or, or this is how, what I think is going on. Um, if the data is not showing it, and and you're doing something scientifically and just looking at the pure raw data, uh, you you can't you can't jump to those conclusions. Uh, you know, uh, 
and you can't um, make sound conclusions. It's just not there, and I I really appreciate that, and I know our audience does, and um, I hope the Bigfoot world does because um, data collection and analysis is tedious and it's it's boring at times uh, for some, uh, and uh, but this is what it takes. I I, I got to pound this into into the Bigfoot world or those that are interested in the subject that it is it is very much um, a scientific endeavor if you're doing things the right way and this is the right approach in my opinion is humans we love to we love to uh, look at things and, and tear them apart and, and, and try and, and, and put ourselves into it when when that's the wrong place to be the data speaks for itself and the more we look at the data and the more we collect data the more we analyze data perhaps we'll get a better picture and then we can maybe move on from there at this point I, I don't, you know, like you, Tom, I'm sure we're not there yet. Um, I just, I love the months of August and July. Um, you know, I, I do, you know, personally, I had my encounter in August, and uh, I put myself in a great area, uh, I'll tell you that, and uh, next to a, a water source and the whole nine, but I can't say that, uh, I mean, I have looked a lot of data personally and found similarities in uh, the months of August, but I can't rule out, you know, just because people just happen to put themselves in those areas at the right time of year. Uh, so nothing particularly jumps out at me. But, uh, no, kudos to you, and I loved your answer. Awesome. Okay. So, you know, like you're saying, I mean, I, I think you use, you know, you know, some folks just get lucky, but the way I think of it is, you know, luck is when, you know, preparation and opportunity come together, right? And the preparation that we do, by looking through audio, looking through statistics, uh, and, you know, the preparation of that, and then the opportunity of getting ourselves out into the, uh, out into the environment, that's when things really come together. And so, um, you know, when I was a naval aviator, we always used to say it's better to be lucky than good. Uh, I've come to find out that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, luck is, you know, like I said, it's about preparation and uh, an opportunity, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, Gunner uh, Tom, mentioned. Yeah, go ahead, Shane. Oh, real, real quick. I wanted to jump in. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, no. now with with the reports coming in, you know, here's the thing that 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 stands out to me um, is that you have people actively researching the subject, going out in the woods and 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 spending time out there and collecting and observing, and then you have your average camper, um, fisherman, etc. Where are the, I mean, I think it's kind of obvious. Most of the reports come from average people doing average things. Your researchers are people that usually find data um, or collecting data, evidence, etc. But they're not usually the ones to have a sighting. I mean, are you finding that in the data as well? I mean, does that stand out as an obvious thing? That is absolutely accurate. Uh, if I look at what the... Um, what the activity of the observer is uh, is doing, we get a lot of driving. Driving is number one. Um, fishing, hunting, things to that effect. Uh, if you look at someone who says that they were actively out looking for Sasquatch, I think the number out of 25,000 is a whopping four. So uh, that absolutely plays itself out. Now, does that mean that that is you know that couldn't change in the future as we are you know gaining more and more uh, information uh, it absolutely could change 
But right now, uh, the number of encounters, like visual encounters, uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, when we're out just, you know, we hear something, uh, which has happened to myself and, and uh, some other folks at the Olympic Project, uh, you know, that's, that's, that could be considered an encounter. But when you're talking about a visual encounter, there has been four uh, when people have actually uh, stated that their activity was, quote-unquote, looking for Sasquatch. Yeah, and, and the numbers speak for themselves. I find that fascinating. Um, and, it, I, you know, I don't really have an answer as to why, per se, other than it is a lot of uh, a, well, putting yourself in the right area, but luck because you're not actually looking for Sasquatch. And it speaks volumes as to, I, for me personally, as to your approach when in the field. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so my my just... And this, again, is is not statistically based, but my thought on this is if you look at the number of people that are actively Sasquatching, it is infinitesimally small, right? Uh We we think that, uh, you know, we are a large and active organization, which, you know, I think relatively, you know, we may be. But think about how often uh, someone who is interested in uh, in Sasquatching and doing that specifically is in the woods as compared to the general public who may be driving down a road, who may be fishing, who may be hunting, who may be hiking. Uh, the numbers, I think, speak for themselves. So I think that's why you're seeing, you know, the numbers that you're seeing. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't think a lot of people think about that, to be honest with you. I don't think it's a, a question awfully, you know, brought up. Uh, and so that's why I kind of wanted to discuss that particularly because uh, it is – it is almost a needle in a haystack, you know. People think all these researchers everywhere, but you look at the amount of hunters and fishermen and campers out there. They they outnumber. Uh, I don't know the number, but it's like ten to. I mean, it's huge. Uh, the huge, actual yeah. amount of research in the field, huge. And so, it's yeah, no exactly. surprise to me, no surprise to me whatsoever that uh, uh, as an active researcher, you don't get those sightings. You may. That's exactly you know, right. Yeah, and and getting. But by compiling this data and looking at it, we may be able to put ourselves in better uh, locations or the right place at the right time. And that's why I find the data and its analysis and its um, findings to be so um, absolutely um, essential. That's right. And that's why and that's why we're doing it, right, because we want to see those numbers go up. Um, you know, I, I have not had an encounter myself myself. Uh, if I am a believer, I am not a knower. I have not put eyes on, and I will not be a knower until I, until I do get eyes on uh, a creature. And I hope that that happens one day. And that's it's kind of, um, you know, Mel Fisher who found the Atocha down in the Florida Keys, uh, the, the the Spanish uh, galleon that that sank. Yeah. You know, every day that they would go out, their motto was "Today is the day," and they would come back empty-handed 99.999% of the time. Uh, I think with, uh, you know, going and using this statistical analysis, I, I, I have that same mindset. Every time I go out to the Olympic Project or I take a walk in the woods, and today is the day. And uh, that's the way I'm thinking about it. Uh, that's fantastic. I love that. And, you know, working up the Olympics has been a fascinating endeavor for me. Um, you know, I've found some interesting um, possible tracks up there. I've, I've recorded some amazing things up there. And... Uh, I'm, but I've never had a sighting in the Olympics, but, you know, some of our uh, team members um, had possible sightings and encounters and whatnot. Um, the area up there that we specifically uh, work on and that your data is uh, being, 
you know, the data compiled specifically for Olympics is being utilized is is, is pretty um, pretty exciting, and um, I, I like the idea of of focusing on one area, and I won't call it habituating. I personally don't like the word habituate. That's just me. Uh, but it's as close as to uh, a constant study area as you're going to find, I believe. And uh, the more we compile data and a- analyze it and use our resources, because the only project, you know, we were discussing earlier, we have all sorts of individuals from a variety of backgrounds. It's pretty phenomenal and uh, it's exciting. And so, you know, the future is looking promising with uh, this research, and I want to emphasize promising because so many there's a lot of individuals out there that say that ah, you know it, it, this this research and Sasquatch it's come to a halt. It's uh, there's nothing good. It's hoaxing this and that. I, I mean I want I want the public to know that, and not just the Lim Project. There's other groups out there doing ph- phenomenal things. Trust me, and and doing it the right way. I'm just focused on the group that I'm involved with, and in, in our guest tonight is Tom Baker, so I'm focused on Olympics. But I believe that we're moving in the right direction. We're compiling um, data, and we're, we're, we're working in one area constantly and researching this area, and that's very important. Yep, Shane, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of what I would call chaff out there. There's a lot of, uh, you know, stuff that you see on the Internet with, yellow circles circled around it, uh, and, uh, you know, people are getting frustrated by the number of, you know, hey, what do you think of this kind of discussions on the Internet? Uh, There are organizations, uh, like you said, other than the Olympic Project, but, you know, the Olympic Project specifically, that I really do think we're moving this forward in a positive direction rather than just using conjecture and, uh, uh, you know, random, random kind of thought there. Absolutely. Um, Tom, what are your, you know, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I want to get back to data, but what are your thoughts on, you know, the Lynn Project recently has um, kind of stopped doing public expeditions. Uh, you know, we were doing these public expeditions, and we actually had some interesting things happen during these public expeditions. And we, one of the things for me during these public expeditions, I, you know, like you, I'm sure, we never expected anything to happen. It wasn't about that. It was about um, teaching the public and teaching those interested in the subject how to go about um, researching um, properly uh, and how to survive in the woods and whatnot. Um, what are your thoughts on public expeditions? And um, I mean, I'm in favor of us, you know, we, we've kind of stopped doing them because we're trying to really focus on research right now. You know, we, we've come in to um, a lot of new finds and stuff that we're working on. What are your thoughts on expeditions, uh, public expeditions, sorry? Yeah. So first of all, um, I so I, I like where we are now, where we are focusing on the research. Um, I I truly personally enjoyed the public expeditions because we got to meet so many great people, uh, and they had such varying views, and you know, it, it would challenge my reality. They would challenge what I felt, and I I enjoyed that challenge. And I enjoyed meeting them and, and hearing their perspectives and getting out in the woods with them. And, you know, if if I ever stop learning, uh, you know, if, then I'm doing something wrong. And, and I always took those opportunities that even though I was leading a group out into the woods, if I wasn't learning from one of those people in that group or that the group in, in general, then I was doing something wrong. So in that sense, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the social atmosphere. Uh, I enjoyed the 
the fact that uh you know um you know hey we're we're kind of a, a small group in this world right i mean there's very few people in this world who consider themselves sasquatch researchers or paper researchers so it's kind of nice to meet meet other people that that feel the same way um that being said uh it is incredibly difficult to get any sort of solid research done when you're leading a group of 20 people through the woods at night uh it's it's nearly impossible to hear anything uh, there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of excitement. Um, people have, uh, if something does happen, people have different ideas on what they want to do to kind of keep the interaction going or, you know, if they hear something, you know, uh, people will hear something that others don't hear. And it ju- it becomes kind of a hurting cats kind of situation. And I don't mean that negatively. It's just it makes research difficult. So, Although I enjoyed it for all the positive things that it brought brought to us, I am really um, I'm excited in the direction we're going now because now we're getting down to brass tacks. Now it is the core group with the core initiative, and we are out there doing what we need to do to move this forward. Um, and uh, while I am, you know, somewhat sad that I won't, you know, be able to meet. You know some of the some of the folks that may be listening or or whatever that uh, that may join an expedition. Um, I do feel like what we're doing is the right thing for the organization and the right thing for Bigfoot Research as a whole. Uh, we've got a fantastic organization, uh, and I think we've refined it down to the point where um, there's a lot of trust amongst the organization that we're going to do the right thing when things. Uh, there's a particular protocol. There's a there. You know we are. Um, we are all hardcore hikers. I mean, we will go straight up a hill. You know, there's no such thing as a trail. Uh, and we'll do whatever it takes to get the information we need. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword, but I am glad, uh, you know, I'm glad we're going in the direction we are. Did that answer your question? Absolutely. I completely agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. You know, I met some fantastic individuals, and some of those individuals that we have met and collaborated with, have, be, have, have become Olympic Project members uh, due to their backgrounds and knowledge and uh, expertise. So it, it has played a benefit, but now it's time to, uh, you know, uh, I mean, with, with your data analysis and those we're collaborating with, time to buckle up and really um, pursue this wholeheartedly and uh, do it organized uh, like we are doing. Um, and speaking of collaboration, how, is an, how important is it to collaborate with others? We're doing that now. Um, and, and many of the, you know, some of the Olympic Project members are are not known, to be honest with you. I mean, they're just not known. They don't want to be public. But we're working alongside them, and they're really just about, absolutely about the um, research of the subject and then the, the data. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. how important is that? Absolutely. It's incredibly important. And, uh, you know, there, you know I, I took a trip to, uh, to England, and I met with... Uh, one of our uh, collaborators over there, and I've got to tell you, I mean, uh, if we think that we're good at what we do, I mean, they are good at what they do. I mean, they they have the time and the resources to put into it where, you know, maybe I might be uh, tied down with, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a difficult job, uh, you know, nine to five, <laughs> or should I say six to six to midnight. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, they are uh, – you know the people that are doing it um, in collabor you know in collaboration with us uh, are incredibly important and um, you know they are really bringing a lot of things to light uh, with us. I'm not going to say for us, but they're doing it with us, which is fantastic. 
Um, and I enjoy working with them. They are great people. Um, and, uh, you know, just because they are not able to join us here uh, at the Olympic Project Base Camp doesn't mean that they don't play an absolutely critical part of the research. And I, uh, I am very proud and, and honored to work with them. They are incredibly smart people. Uh, and, um, yeah, they, they, they know their stuff and, and uh, very happy to be working with them. Yeah, you know, it's so important because in this day and age, you know, like I mentioned before, people are not really looking at the bigger picture of maybe what's going on out there. And the Olympic Project is working with uh, a number of individuals um, that are including the Olympic Project or outside the Olympic Project, and collaboration is so key. And I was listening to a podcast the other day where um, they were t- discussing the lack of corroboration or collaboration, sorry, and uh, I thought, well, you know what? That's that's not true. There is collaboration, uh, extensive cl- collaboration, and these individuals, um, just because you don't um, see their faces or know of them, um, they're out there and they are very adamant about the research. And and some of their, you know, like the individual you spoke of from England. I mean, what a phenomenal individual uh, with super talent, and he's very adamant about. Uh, the science of it and looking for patterns. Uh, it's a privilege to know him and, and work with him. And uh, but collaboration is it is going on. Collaboration is key. It's going on and it's working to the benefit of the subject and to the benefit of the learning project. And um, I'm I'm excited about the future personally. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think uh, you know some it, the Bigfoot world and you you've held a number of you know, podcasts, Gunnar and, and Shane, about this topic, right, about uh, how how certain individuals kind of are polarizing and, uh, you know, how different uh, ideas, uh, you know, are polarizing in the Bigfoot world. Um, you know, I think you have to take everything with a grain of salt and, and um, just accept people and their views for what they are. I Again, I, you know, the Olympic Project is so based on, you know, the scientific method as much as at least as we can possibly be when we're not in a, in a pure scientific environment, uh, meaning, you know, you know, we're not working in a vacuum here. Um, the collaboration, you know, is happening and we are collaborating, you know, to the best of our ability. Very, and you're a very inclusive group. Yeah. And, and, you know, I do believe, um, that, the, the compilation, I mean, compiling all this data and and looking at it and um, finding other uh, significant pieces of evidence will get, uh, I think our goal is, you know, we're not uh, there to prove Sasquatch per se, but we are there for the day of discovery. And I think science will eventually have to, uh, I mean, as a whole, there are scientists involved, you know, John Bender, Nagel, um, Meldrum, uh, Jeffrey Meldrum, and, you know, John Mijnczynski, there are individuals involved in science that are working with us, but as a whole, I think by um, including them and providing them with this data and, and whatnot, we can um, hopefully move forward and uh, get science uh, involved. And more, you know, so it's more than just the citizen scientists or citizen um, out there in the field with, you know, not not necessarily. Uh, a background in science, you know, but to get academia involved, don't you agree? I, I fully agree. Uh, I think anybody that comes from a certain expertise that brings value to the research um, is, is key. It brings, um, 
you know, it, it validates, it helps to validate, right? It helps to validate what we're trying to do. Um, you know, I always joke around. I mean, uh, you know, my, you know, people in Bigfoot houses shouldn't throw stones. Uh, I mean, <laughs> let's face it. I mean, to the general public, this is a little out there. Uh, for those non-believers and people that, you know, I mean, this is not, we're not in the center lane here, folks. Uh, so I think any time that we can, you know, bring science into it, we can bring people that are respected in their scientific fields into it. Um, you know, even if we don't find anything, we're out there having a good time, you know, and we're doing the best we can um, to uh, to bring legitimacy to this search. And let me just say um, that, you know, if if I'm out there and I'm and I get to hang out with you, Shane, and you, Gunner, and uh, Matt Jones, and the rest of the crew, uh, and we go out for a fun hike and and we don't see anything, then you know what? I'm winning because I'm I'm living life the way I want, and we're enjoying we're enjoying each other's time, uh, even if we don't find something, and that's okay uh, because we're out we're out there uh, doing what we want to do and just enjoying the outdoors. Um, you know, when I was hiking with uh, Cliff Barathen one time, he said, look, you know, we're out here for a hike, and anything else extra that happens is just a bonus. And that's the way I look at it, too. Well, that was true the last time that we were up at the Olympic Project. Tom, you and I were part of a group that went out and to recre- retrieve the, the trail cams that had been placed by the group. So, And uh, you, unfortunately, had uh, several <laughs> close encounters with wasps. Uh, you saw them the target of, of uh, they thought you were delicious. I don't know what was going on there. Every, almost everybody got stung. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I was, got hit I mean, hard that day. They're like my you, Italian blood. I think I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you. I, but you were you were a hell of a trooper about it. It was uh, we just had and we were off trail hiking up the side of a mountain and it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, in spite of the the injuries that took place. Basically everybody who was went on the the hike, but uh, and uh, we got back in the court. We reviewed the the trail cam footage, and and that's part of the re- research. There were nothing bigfooty on you know the trail cam, but but some cool uh, video of bears in and uh, and actually seeing some hikers in areas that uh, we wouldn't have thought that they, that anybody else was going. So you get you get important information even if you don't get you know Bigfoot information. You find oh geez we thought we'd be the only ones going up the side of that mountain and and that's not the case. That is so, true. Off trail. That is true. Yeah. But you know while we're sitting there and we're reviewing that you know it's while we're sitting there and we're, we're we are reviewing those camera you know those photos that we had been soaking you know they've been sitting there for X amount of months you know I kind of go back to it's like Christmas right I mean you're just you know, mm-hmm. every time you every time you look at the next picture, the next picture could be could be the one. And how mm-hmm. cool is that to be a part to be a part of that? And how fun is that? You know, um, yeah, you know, a little bit of ice and ibuprofen and Benadryl to get rid of those wasps uh, stings, <laughs> along with an adult beverage, and uh, sitting around looking at those uh, looking at those photos. And just every time you hit the next photo, you're never sure what's going to be on there. And uh, you know what? Nothing on there that time, but that's okay. We saw some bears and lynx and elk and deer, and that's pretty cool. And yeah, and uh, like you say, that's um, as you're flipping through slides, you just never know when that next one's going to be something like, oh my god, that was that that is a the money shot, or just something that's 
really interesting. That's that right. Was, you know, yeah. I mean, and it, 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 it was good. It's just, like you say, going out in the woods, um, having a good time and hanging out with, with good people. And and I I I just like the, I love the work that the Olympic Project and and you're a big part of that, of the, the data, um, the, the science, applying science to data, you know, and that we can't, we talked about it, where we would like the data to take us. Um, and I think in the past there's been some of that as people want the data to take, you know, we could, it's really easy for us to try and direct the data and, um, that's not scientific. Scientific, the data is going to direct us. That's right. Absolutely. So I have a huge appreciation for the amount of work that, that you and other members of the the Bigfoot or uh, the Olympic Project in particular have, and the, and the people that put those databases together over, you know, the four databases that that um, you, that have been put together and, and analyzed now over time that's that's a huge huge uh, amount of work and and the all the all that co- data collection um that took place over you know uh, all these years so the, yeah that, i mean it's just jason cool. aiken yeah i mean jason aiken uh who was a uh you know you heard me talk about the expeditions and how we would meet new people uh, you know, Jason came to one of our expeditions, and uh, exactly. next thing you know, we're collaborating, and he is normalizing the data. The guy is a—he's an Excel spreadsheet guru. I mean, he just put the whole thing together, and you know, it, it's people like that that we just couldn't do this—you know—study without. So I—I'm uh, what we didn't ask you. How did you? Um, come to have an interest in Bigfoot in the first place? Yeah, so, you know, back in the 70s, um, you know, you had uh, the show In Search Of with, uh, mm-hmm. with Leonard Nimoy, and um, I just remember sitting at, you know, in front of the TV and, you know, watching that show, and they just had the, I think that one was where they kind of introduced the, uh, the you know, the miners at Ape Canyon, and um, I just remember being a kid and going, wow, that is just amazing that something like that could actually be out there. Um, so I think that was my initial, uh, you know, interest. And then, you know, when I joined the Navy, just like everybody's lives, I mean, you know, you forget things and you, you know, you move around the country and move around the world and, you know, and, but when I came back to the Pacific Northwest, um, I was like, Oh, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is where it's at. This is where all these things happen. And, uh, you know, for the most part, and, um, uh, and that's where my interest really got peaked again. Like I said, uh, my wife uh, purchased me the expedition for my birthday, and you know I was off to the races. Now I can't get it. You know, it's it's it now. You know, every, every birthday is a new you know pair of night fishing goggles or a you know new listening <laughs> device or you know all the all the all the toys that we love to play with while we're out there. Uh, we might. <laughs> I'm enjoying all the all the you know we get to dress up and play with fun toys. Yeah, Tom. Well, I got a quick very question similar, Pat. Where, where do you see where do you see Tom the future of uh, the in, data analysis going? Uh, and uh, you know, where do you see you know the future of it going? And and what do you expect out of it all? Yeah, it's tough to yeah, it's tough to say what to expect, right? Because it's kind of like that treasure hunt. You're never sure what you're going to get. But here's where I see it going. I see that the 
you know, we will continue with the single thread data analysis, meaning, you know, whether it's word counts or event counts. Uh, and then we will start moving into the correlation, which we already have to, to a certain extent. If we start to see things correlating, then we start to dive deep on those. But I see more correlations uh, in the data occurring and us studying those. So to me, that means, you know, we're, we're, we're going to start putting time of day together with weather, together with, um, you know, um, oh, I don't know, elevation and water source and, and animal, uh, you know, prey movement. And we're going to start putting all of that together. It's those linkages that are key. You know, we, we've done a really good job so far of saying that the majority of sites or the majority of encounters that we have in our database say that, you know, 90% happen at, uh, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning. That's obviously an erroneous number. That's just an exaggeration. But, yeah. you know, we can, we can say that, you know, between 9 and 11 o'clock is, is when we're seeing the most sightings. Okay, well, that's great, right? So that gives us that, okay, we might want to start paying attention in that time frame. But wouldn't it be great if we started correlating that with moon phase? And we start correlating moon phase and time with prey movement and moon phase and time and prey movement with water source. And we start bringing it all together. And that's where I see the data analysis going. Right now we've done, like I said, we've done a very good job of counting things and saying that this is when things have happened. At least this is when people say things have happened. And what I see in the future is bringing it all together. And that is correlating it, across the board so that we can then start truly pinpointing, you know, when things, predicting things, when, you know, when they're going to occur. That's awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to uh, getting to that point of uh, applying it and, uh, and getting some predictability out of it. It, the, the, Taking the data and then and then doing um, testing hypothesis to me is another step for uh, you know if I do this using the data um, what kind of uh, result do I get would right. be an interesting yep. step with that too so yeah and well, and uh, Gunnar as you know real quick I know we got to get going here but I think this is an important piece of the scientific side and it is. You know, if we do have a hypothesis, uh, and, and Barbara Olvera of the Olympic Project will probably shoot me. She'll probably call me after this because I know I'm going to get this wrong. But we are, you know, if we have a hypothesis, we don't try to prove the hypothesis. We try to prove it. We try to prove it wrong. And when we can't prove it wrong, then we start to think of why. Why haven't we been able to prove it wrong? So it's, you know, we, we say it's solving for the null hypothesis. The null hypothesis is that is the opposite of what we think. We don't believe that a bipedal uh, ape-like creature exists in the Pacific Northwest. And when we can't prove that wrong, then we'll start looking at the alternative of, well, maybe it does exist. And that's where we're headed. Well said. Okay. I mean, that was uh, that's perfect. Uh, Gunner, uh, we're short for time, I believe, but uh, Tom, 
I just want to say thank you for joining us, and uh, I, I value your insight and your friendship and the time in the field that we have and your your um, contributes to the Lim Project. They're phenomenal, and uh, I can't wait to get back on the field with you soon and uh, collect some more data and uh, just uh, share um, the, the fun times out in the woods. Man, I love it, and appreciate you joining us. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I'll see everybody in the woods and keep drinking that Sasquatch coffee, and uh, <laughs> uh, and we'll, we'll we'll see you out there. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Tom. All right, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. So that's that I mean, that's show. Just, yeah. Um, I just love the the data numbers and and it it you know as much as we'd like it to like point us in a very specific direction. Um, taking all like these various databases and 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 doing the best that you can to normalize them uh, you know and one of the things that I found interesting that Tom was talking about is is the holes in the data you know if you've got um, twenty five data fields you know i'm I'm imagining that that uh, a very high percentage of of all those reports are missing some data point. Or, or multiple data points. So um, it's even more impressive is, to me is what they've been able to derive out of the data. 25,000 reports that they've now um, taken and, and put into a, a, a database for analysis. And, uh, well, we're not seeing, you know, and, and um, Tom was talking about there in certain regions you're you have more, um, you're seeing more distinct patterns than than others. But and some of that I think is like like the the Olympics, where kind of a unique situation. There's a lot of area up there that nobody hardly ever goes into, and the extreme changes in in uh, topography and and uh, altitude and short distances. I mean, it it makes that. Uh, I, w- I would ex- actually expect it to be less predictable there than than in other areas. So, very cool. Yeah, that, uh, <clears throat> that's our job. Um, that's our job is you know uh, those holes in in the research or the uh, those holes in the data. That's as researchers and, and data analysis you know folk. That's our job. Uh, that's what science requires us. For us to fill in those holes, and um, I, I'm very encouraged uh, by individuals like Tom and whatnot that are are looking at just the data and not make any presumptive, um, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> guesses or or putting their own thoughts into it. They're just looking at what's the raw data out there, compiling it and showing this is what where we're at and this is what the data shows. Period. It's you know, leaving out the human um, uh, interference. It's just here it is, and that to me is phenomenal. It's the right direction, and encourages me personally that we are, you know, specifically in the Lim Project, moving in the right direction. And uh, um, I'm very excited about the future. The Tillman Group is doing much of the same stuff and uh, collaborating with the Lim Project. So it's just it's a good place to be. And uh, I just want to let the audience know out there that uh, 
there's a lot to uh, look forward to in the future. It's it you know don't look for immediate results. You know it, it, this is slow and tedious, but uh, this is what science requires. This is what your true researchers are going to bring to the table. Um, you know you're not going to get instant gratification. I'm sorry, unfortunately, unless somebody supplies a body right away. Uh, this is what what's going. This is where we're at, and uh, these are the results. And uh, for me, it's exciting, and I enjoy doing this, and that's what we're about. And I, it, what I don't, I haven't seen anything like this kind of project um, done before in terms of taking all that and creating, uh, mat, mashing together the the uh, different databases and and getting and getting this kind of information. And it is is invaluable to not just this generation of Bigfooters. Who knows, you know, when when uh, discovery will happen, but that to future uh, generations of, of uh, Bigfooters. So, you know, it could be that if, uh, they, they'll be looking at it very differently because of, of, of the efforts of groups like the Olympic Project and the Tillamook Group and other groups, so I'm excited, and I, I like I said, I'm, I get kind of giddy over over <laughs> statistics. I'm a, I'm a statistics nerd, so um, it, it's right up my alley. I like looking at that stuff, so well, this that's about all the time we have for this week's show. Next week, we will be live from um, Hopsquatch. Uh, we will be grabbing some of our guests at Hopsquatch to uh, chat with about their encounters. So uh, if you're in the Portland area again, come out and join us uh, at the Lucky Lab on Quimby in Portland, Oregon, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. Thanks, Shane.